0: Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, church family. I'm Charlene Basissa, and I serve on the worship team. I will be reading Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were standing they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them then they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the spirit enabled them thank you charlene this is god's word let's pray together father we thank you for bringing us here we thank you for your word and over but right now, we just ask that you lead and guide every aspect of this time of worship by your Spirit. Help us to be sensitive to your leading, your drawing, and your calling, Father. Just lead us well. Help us to see you more clearly and worship you for all that you are because you're worthy of more. We thank you, Father. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church may have a seat. If you have your Bibles, go you and grab those. We'll be in Acts chapter 2. And like Charlene, Read to us verses one through four. Thank you, Charlene, for doing that. We are continuing our series, week two of our series, Moment to Movement. Moment to Movement. As you think through your life, there's always been some kind of moment that led to some kind of movement, and it could be in very small ways. Like, who, who wakes up in the morning due to an alarm clock? Yeah? Alarm clockers? That's right. So that moment, whether you like it or not, leads to some kind of movement, does it not? It could be getting out of bed, or like, maybe like me, you snooze for like the next hour which is not good, I hear, but that's what I do. But there's moments, and so last week we kicked off the series talking about the moment that led to the igniting movement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that was the moment of the resurrection, which, as we talked about, our faith hangs on. But today we're going to look at another moment in the life of what we see as the church, and that comes here in Acts chapter two, verse one through four, and just do a recap. Real quick, last week we have Jesus' resurrection walk for about 40 days, right? 40 days, a lot of people in different ways, teaching, spending time with. And his disciples in Acts 1 says, are you now restoring your kingdom? And Jesus responds, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus says here is simply wait. He says, wait. He says, you will not have the power for the life and purpose that I've called you to without the Spirit. So wait. So, in here, who in here has experienced times and seasons of waiting on the Lord to move? Right? It's easy. Easy. It's interesting that as we talked about last week, Jesus during his 40, t- 40 days of walking out his resurrection body, he spent time with a lot of different people. At one point, he, was, he taught a crowd of over 500 people. But then after his ascension that we saw last week in Acts 1.9, there was only about 120 people who would gather. It's interesting to me. What happened to the other 380 people? I think waiting's hard. That's what I think. I think people get tired of waiting. And I think that's exactly what we see. Is waiting is difficult on the Lord, but it's worthy, because he is worthy and trustworthy to wait upon. I know we all have perfect schedules and perfect timings, but his ways are higher than our ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth. And so what we see here is Jesus says, wait. And I wonder, it almost seems like he's pointing back to the promise he gave to wait, as we see in the moments before Jesus would be murdered. That Passover moment, the Passover celebration, as we know, is the the Last Supper. In the moments before Jesus was murdered, Jesus seemed to summarize all that he had said in his ministry and show during his ministry life in this time with his disciples in this Passover celebration. I mean, think about the things he said, and I'm just going to list just a few of them. But during this Passover remembrance that he gathered his disciples for, he taught them how to serve and forgive. And again, this is recap what he had done the previous three years. You remember he gathered his disciples and started washing feet. Now, who would sign up for the serve team of washing feet? Anybody want to do that? We don't have it yet, but I'm looking for the person to lead it, right? Serve team of washing feet. It's not like it were clean feet. These are dirty feet. It's like those that worked all day and then come back and now wash my feet. It's not like office job work all day. It's like construction worker, road worker, roof worker, like smelly, sweaty, dirty feet. Now wash them, right? And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. He starts washing their feet during this celebration, this supper of remembrance. And in John 13, Jesus says, for I've given you an example. You also should do just as I have done for you. At this point, he's talking way more than washing feet. He set an example of what it is to follow him. That's what it means to follow after me. is to do what I do and do what I say. And what's crazy is that he shows what service looks like. But in this moment, he also shows what forgiveness looks like. Because think about all the feet that he washed in this time, his disciples' feet. He even washed Judas' feet knowing that this same Judas was going to be betraying him in just moments. Think about that. And I just wonder, when did his disciples connect those dots? I mean, I know they were, this is what gives me encouragement. As you looked at the disciples, they weren't real quick on the pickup, right? Neither am I, so I like that. But man, can you imagine when they finally connected those dots? Like, wait a minute. He knew that Jesus was doing it and he washed his feet? What a picture of servanthood and forgiveness before he even needed it. He taught him during this, this time together as a prep, prep, preparation before he would depart on how to, what love looked like. Right? This was a new commandment he given. And you can find these accounts from John 13 to John 17 these last supper type of accounts. He says I give you a new command love one another. Well that's not a new command, that's an old command. The newness of it is that what Jesus what he's going to show what loving one another looks like. He says just as I have loved you you are also to love one another. Now, think about that. Think about what Jesus did for you and for me. Romans 5.8 says, in that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love, Christ dying for us. That's what love looked like. You don't deserve it, ask for it, but extends it anyway. He says in the same statement, by this, by this kind of love, everyone will know that you're my disciples. I wonder if we're demonstrating this kind of love for one another. The sacrificial, other-focused love, because by this revolutionary countercultural love, others will know you are different than others around us. And he also teaches during this time the power source, the sources that supplies. That's all that's required for the abundant life that Jesus talks about. This life of meaningful purpose and kingdom-mindedness. Jesus says in John 15, "Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit." By itself, unless it remains on the branch, neither can you, unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. he says this, because you can do nothing without me. He says, remain in me, which is interesting because he says, I'm going to be leaving. How are we going to remain in you, with you, abide with you, and you're leaving? Well, he reminds them again during his last supper conversation that you're not going to be alone. John 14, he says, I will ask the father, father, and he will give you another counselor. And the Greek word is paraclete, counselor, helper, to be with you forever. That's a long time. I think we can overlook overlooked some words. That will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The word is unable, the world is unable to receive him because it does not See him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. So the spirit that's going to be sent, this paraclete, this helper, will be with you forever. And listen, this is one of my favorite seasons of the year. Not fall, I mean that's cool too, but football season, right? I, I'm just make clear about football season is amazing. Football season and the college football was great last 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 night. Now, I'm just thinking through this. So let's just imagine you got these two teams, and one has these amazing pair of shoes, right? Like Air Jordans. Expensive, nice, great, right? Popular, like these things are great. And the other team has what? Let's say cleats, football cleats. And they play each other. What team is going to do better, all things considered, right? People have a little more traction. Because those shoes weren't made for grass. Their shoes were made for basketball courts. Well, those cleats were made for grass and traction. And if you ever played against someone that had cleats and you did not, you would know this pretty quickly. Uh, You cannot keep up. Like, how is this guy that's so slow beating me? Anyway, as I was thinking about this, what do you think this hypothetical game would look like as the one team in Air Jordans was playing with the one team that had cleats? At the end of the game... After the obvious beatdown, what do you think the Air Jordan teams would have said? Man, I wish I had a Paraclete. Oh, that's right. You're welcome. (laughs) Paraclete, the helper. Wish we had some help. That's exactly right. We need the help for life and purpose to follow Jesus. We need the Paraclete that Jesus would send, the helper. Now, I'm convinced. My Missouri football team last night would not have won, and the only reason it did is because my kicker, my kicker, like I own the team, made a 61-yard field goal, but he would not have made that field goal unless he had a pair of cleats on, because he would have slipped and fell down. We need the help. We need the helper. In other words, Jesus is saying, faithfully follow me, and I will fill you with my presence and power. And God fully knows that we cannot do what he demands or execute what he expects without his power that provides the strength that we need to follow him. So Jesus has a few promises here. He says, I'll promise to send my spirit. Then he says in Acts 1, wait, remember, I promised to send my spirit. And in Acts 2, we finally see, remember the promise? Here it is. Which finally, we can start the sermon. Verse 1, it's a long introduction. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is why we have a hard time getting out here before lunch, because I have to stop every part of the way. Pentecost. I'm just convinced, like, we know a lot about Pentecost, but a lot of what we know about Pentecost is that's when the church was birthed. That's what most of us know about Pentecost, because that's the church age we live in. And praise God, that's true and not true at the same time, because that's not what they were gathering to do. There was about three celebrations. There's three celebrations within about a 50-day time frame with this this, uh, Pentecost celebration concluding the three. I want to run through these quickly. This is not an exhaustive teaching on the feasts of celebrations that was offered, but I think it's helpful context. And so this Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks. And they were remembering when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So the response during the celebration is that they would bring an offering from their entire harvest as a huge, lavish celebration of God's faithfulness and provision. And this gathering would happen in Jerusalem, and it was known to bring hundreds of thousands of people to travel from regions all over the place to celebrate back here. And the timeline for this celebration was 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. So we're going to work backwards just for a minute. So Pentecost, also know about the Feast of Weeks. So I'm going somewhere with this, hang in there with me. Backing up 50 days, the feast of first fruits. And here they're remembering how God provided a place to live and to grow crops for food after God would deliver them from the hand of the Egyptian captivity and Pharaoh through Moses. They're remembering God's faithfulness in providing after they had left. And so the response during this celebration was offering the first of the barley harvest, which was the first harvest that would come up before the rest of the harvest. And so in a very real way, they were offering thanksgiving to God's providing, and also looking forward to God faithfully, faithfully providing the rest of the harvest. So they provide an offering as a first fruits. And this was celebrated about two days after Passover, all right? So you got 50 days, back it up. Now we're about two days, which brings us to the first of these three celebrations. That's the Passover celebration. And the Passover celebration is still rich, and we still remember this in a specific way, But it's remembering God's attentiveness to his people's cries. They were in Egyptian captivity under the mighty hand of Pharaoh, and they were crying out for God to move. And finally God did. And he sent a guy named Moses. But it wasn't Moses' power. It was God providing his power through these things that we saw as plagues, significant plagues of God's power on display. And God showed his power over the most powerful person and people, Pharaoh in Egypt, showing them they were powerless against his power. But how you do that through the 10th plague is that he would send his final plague, the death of the firstborn. Over all the region. And the only way anyone could be saved from what Exodus 12 calls the destroyer coming through is if they followed exactly what God said. Sacrifice an unblemished lamb. Take the blood from that lamb and smear it on the doorpost. And when the destroyer comes through, he will pass over the houses that have this blood. And it's noteworthy that there was no magic blood. It was obedience to God out of faith that he would do what he said he would do. They didn't understand it, but somehow, way, they knew if they did this because they believed that God would do what he said he would do, that it would happen just like that, and it did. God passed over the houses with the blood. And then the rest of it did not, and God's wrath was poured out. And so during this remembrance, they execute what we see in Exodus 12, 8. They come together for a meal. They eat meat that's roasted over fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And one of the reasons was because God said, do this because you're going to leave quick. So get ready. Because when this goes down, you're going to be on the run. This is a Josh paraphrase of Exodus 12. Read yourself. It's much better. So why don't we celebrate these anymore? Because this is really the point I want to drive on. Why don't we celebrate Passover, the Feast of Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost? Well, those who like Sunday school answers, my Sunday school people, the answer is Jesus. Can't go wrong, just Jesus. If I don't know, Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we don't celebrate these festivals, feasts, in the same way. These were created and intended to be the perfect promise that would ultimately fulfill what they pictured. There are moments that were a reminder of God's goodness and God's grace for his people, for providing for his people. Foreshadowing a fuller display of the amazing grace of God in Jesus specifically. Now think about this real quick. The Passover... We now see Jesus, this fuller picture. Jesus was the unblemished lamb, sacrifice, satisfying God's wrath and passing over sins in the sinner by faith alone. So now we celebrate Jesus as the fulfillment of what the Passover picture, the feast of first, first fruits is Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection, conquering sin and death as a first fruit. I'm just gonna read 1 Corinthians 15. I invite you to read that because it's touching on exactly of Jesus being the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 23 says this. He says, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, it's speaking of Adam and sin, the re- resurrection of the dead also comes through one man, that is Jesus. For just as, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after after the word, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God the Father and abolishes all rule and authority and power. And so what we see here is Jesus fulfills the feast of the first fruits because he is the first fruit living from the dead. Because Jesus' resurrection, all will be bodily resurrected, because he himself conquered sin and death, becoming the first fruits of what was to come. And so finally, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, Jesus too fulfilled this. Remember we talked about a couple times including last week. Fulfilled means filled, full, the fuller picture. And we talked about how the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, they recognized Moses bringing the law from God at Mount Sinai. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. And so you see that Jesus fulfills perfectly what these feasts have pictured previously. By God's intention. So all that to say gives you context of what they were celebrating here and and just the power of God moving in these ways of remembering. But notice in verse 1 it says they were all together in one place. So it was Pentecost, they all gathered together in one place. And what we see here is gathering together is a priority of followers of Jesus. Why? Primarily, Jesus taught this. You can tell culturally they gathered together. Unlike culturally now, we don't like gathering together. They prioritized gathering together, but more importantly, Jesus taught his disciples to be together, to do life together, do ministry together, to do life together and ministry together. And so what do the disciples do? They continue to do life together because Jesus says, follow me, meaning to do what I do and do what I say. And so they continue to do what he did and do what he says. And that means gathering together. They prioritize gathering together. This was a regular rhythm of their life, is gathering together. And this is the biblical precedent of what should be regular rhythms of our life, is gathering together. And we'll get into that more as we go through this moment-to-movement series. But it has to beg the question of, as they gathered, what did they do? What did they do together? And we don't know all of it. We can gather some things for Scripture, but I know one thing they definitely did. They prioritized prayer together. In the moments after Jesus' ascension, they gathered together in Acts 1, verse 14. It says they were all we're continually united in prayer. You see, prayer is a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. You see, prayer is a hallmark of Jesus' ministry with his disciples. Disciples say, teach us how to pray like you pray, right? Teach us how to pray. And you see, the church continued to pray after Jesus' ascension, and will continue to pray. There was a hallmark and priority of what they did together. And so, we, as a church family, want to continue to make that a focal point of what we do together is prayer, So every morning at 9 a.m., some of you know, many of you probably don't, is our serve team that is responsible for all this that we enjoy? We pray together in specific ways. We gather for prayer. Because prayer is important. Our small groups throughout the week gather for prayer. Prayer is a priority because it matters to God. And Jesus taught it, we follow it, but what we see here and what we see throughout Scripture is that powerful movements of God occur when the people of God prioritize prayer together. Which leads us to verse two. It says, suddenly. You know why it says suddenly? Because it was sudden, right? They did not expect it. It's interesting. Like we we know God can do these things also when it happens like blown away. Suddenly, in God's perfect timing, they were going through regular rhythms of life and God intervenes in miraculous ways. Suddenly, a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire, a separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And notice it says like he's trying to explain like what happened and what it looked like. But notice it also said all of them that were gathered together were filled. Not just the super apostles. Not just the servants that were extra servant oriented, right? Not just those that go to church every Sunday. This gathering, it filled them all. And it was a sudden movement of God as they were just gathering together, prioritizing togetherness. And we just want to touch on a couple things with, regarding the Spirit. First and foremost, the Spirit is the one who God sends to save, and it works in our beliefs, and we're going to get with this, and how we respond to what he's leading to. But I want to point out three different things that involve us personally in our life as following Jesus and what the Spirit does. So number one, the Spirit seals. Spirit seals. This is what we see in Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. It says in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And so what it means is that when you heard the gospel and believed it, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. That sealed means secured. Secured. For the day of redemption is a down payment, meaning you are His and it won't be recognized until He returns fully and fully. Finally, the Bible says you are being saved. Doesn't mean that you weren't saved from your sins, it means it will be finalized when you're in the presence of the Lord Himself. But the point is, it's done, it's final, you're secured. And so this is hugely important because we go through this life and we struggle and we misstep and we trip and we do these things we're like, oh, why do I do that? I'm such an idiot. These things happen. Or is that just me? Maybe it's just me. You guys are killing it. Listen, the the promise is, and the truth is, when you misstep, if you're following Jesus, you believed you're securing them. You didn't earn your way into a right relationship with God and you can't lose it. And, I mean, I, it's so funny I hear the people that don't believe with this doctrine. Because they say, well, listen, if you just do whatever you want, well, then how is that Christianity? You can just go do this and do this and start going down the list of sins. And the point is, listen, if you have the Holy Spirit, you won't want to be doing those things. So if you're doing all those things and being fine with it, I would doubt you have the Holy Spirit's presence in you. Not for me to judge. Just look at the fruit. But notice that simultaneously, when you hear and believe, God sends his Holy Spirit, saves with his Holy Spirit, and seals you with his Holy Spirit. And this is a promise we have. And, and so you see this picture in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit fills the room and fills these people, and it's this amazing experience. And the temptation is, when you come to Jesus, and you didn't have this amazing experience with tongues of fire coming on your head, and wind like a tornado rush, rushing through, I wonder if I'm saved. You ever been there? Like wondering, man, did... Did it take? Right? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. I see my sins and I'm a Savior. And I, I, I want you and not these. And I need you. And man, is that enough? It says, when you hear and believe. And the Holy Spirit can testify, do you believe it? If you believe it, done, finished, move on, following Jesus, and stop listening to the whispers of the enemy. And a side note, when you start following Jesus, it doesn't mean you're like Jesus in all aspects of everything right now. You're perfectly sanctified and chicken fried and all those different things, right? Like, it doesn't mean that. It means you're a work in progress. And so what kills me is that people see Christians and say, you bunch of hypocrites, right? You say you're following Jesus, and yet you're doing this. You're getting short with people. Not that you guys would do that, right? Or you didn't serve over here. You're not involved here. You're not given here. Listen to me. We are all on this journey that we call Christianity and fall after Jesus. And we're all at different levels. And we're all progressing by the work of the Holy Spirit. But man, some of us are slower than others, me being one of them. We're patient with one another. But it's so easy for us to see flaws in others and miss our own issues, our own blind spots know that the Holy Spirit's working and help that to bring a patience with one another as well. That's just a side note. Take that home with you. That'd be great to meditate on. So the Holy Spirit seals. Holy Spirit fills. And this is interesting because in Ephesus, they had this other God. And the, the thought was, if you get drunk on wine, you can experience and hear from these other gods in a great way. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, nah, no, no. He says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. I want to note that down, by the way. That's that's still true. He says, but replace that. Not that. He said, Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. And it's crazy in Ephesians 5. He goes on this list of what the Spirit kind of does in and through people speak. To one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, make a melody in your heart. But he says this, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of that. The only the Spirit of God can do that. Give give thanks in all things, And in case you didn't catch that one, and in everything. Now you think through the all things and everything of your life. Can you truly praise God for the all things and everything? I heard his testimony this week, and I'm not going to share the details of it, but, man, it, it got me thinking. I know we say it's, it can be hard to forgive ourselves, and that's true, no doubt. But, man, it can be really hard to forgive others who have done significant evil against you. I'm not going to share the testimony that I heard, but significant evil that still is traumatizing today, some maybe 20 years later. That's hard. How can you give thanks for that? And I don't know what significant evils that you've had done to you, but I can tell you God's still working and moving. And just because that evilness happened doesn't mean God isn't good. And so you're not giving thanks in all things and everything because of the evil that happened to you, but you're giving thanks because God's still God. Evilness and sin still happens. And we don't understand it all, but we know God's God, and God will repay his vengeance in his justice, in his timing. But Him thanks in all things and everything is only done by the Spirit of God. But you have to be filled with it. And so this is interesting that as we think this filled, that God has given believers the level of ability to either release the Spirit of God in their lives or being filled with the Spirit or the ability to restrict the Spirit of God's spirit in their life, stifling the spirit. Think about that. And I don't really understand all the intricacies of how God can even let that happen. How He can be filled based on things that I do, and how I can stifle the spirit based on things I do. But that's what First Thessalonians five nineteen says: Don't stifle the spirit. And when it, we see the spirit, we see it. Spirit's likened to like a fire. Have I ever tried to create and make a fire? I'm a big of a pyro. I like fires. It's kind of cool. But, you know, even when you have a fire, kind of, it's going all right. I'm always looking for more accelerants. Get that fire really stoked. Where's the gas? Right? Just start dumping. Don't do that. Don't do that. The accelerants. What accelerants that you put in a fire make it stoke? And so think about your own life. What stokes the Spirit's fire feeling in your own life in an accelerated way? I mean, we know these things. One of them is gathering together on Sunday mornings. I pray to God every time we come here, we leave saying, truly the Lord was in this place. It's an accelerant, spiritual filling. Reading your Bibles, it's God's words, living in effect, a sharper than a double edged sword. Praying to God, actually seeing Him move and work through our prayers, it's amazing. These things are spiritual accelerants, filling with the Spirit. But what about those spiritual extinguishments? So I go back to. Many of you know I was an Air Force firefighter for many years, and jet fuel burns really, really hot. And so the extinguishing agent we have to use for jet fuel isn't water because it's going to push the fire around. That ain't going to do any good. So you put foam over it. And what foam does, it smothers it until the fires no longer exist. The fuel's still there, but it smothers it, stifles it. So I wonder what faith foaming agents are we putting on our own lives? I mean, we're talking like we don't don't hear from God and I'm not experiencing God in these ways yet. I'm watching this garbage. I'm listening to this garbage. I'm spending time around this garbage and I'm just not seeing the God move. No kidding. Like think about the things you're filling ourselves with and you're not hearing from God because you don't spend time with God. It doesn't mean you don't have the spirit in you, most likely, but it does mean you're stifling it. How are you accelerating? Put accelerants on your spiritual growth. Or are you extinguishing it? I think about gasoline. Man, I have a a diesel truck, right? And so, what would happen if I go to get fuel, get fueled up in my diesel truck, and I put gasoline in it? Well, in case you don't know, it'd be bad. It'd be bad. It'd run like garbage if at all, and it would damage it forever because I got the wrong fuel in it. Like, what are we fueling our faith with? Are we fueling ourselves? Are we depleting ourselves? And God gives us a level of ability to do that. Finally, since we're talking about fuel, number three, the Holy Spirit fuels. It fuels us. It fuels us to a life of thriving, not merely surviving. I know that's what it feels like sometimes, but it fuel, fuels us. A life of purpose on purpose. Jesus called the abundant life. And think about this. This comes primarily, starts with loving God. Greatest commandment, if you love God, it starts there. You start living for purpose, on purpose, knowing that you're designed and created for purpose and on purpose by a God who desires a relationship with you and has done everything for you to know him and be known by him. So it starts there. Everything that we talk about, all these sins to avoid or things to do, don't amount to anything unless you start with the motives. Loving God. It all starts there. So like we just talk about forgiveness and serving and washing feet. Like, who's going to wash feet unless I love the Lord? And still, it might not be enough. Let's just be honest. <coughs> loving God is what drives everything. That's the fuel behind what we do, and that's only generated by the Spirit in our lives. But it leads to loving others. And loving others covers every other aspect of your life. It just does. Jesus talks about loving your enemies. That's only done by the Spirit of God in you. You cannot do that in your own power. Because our response, I want to punch my enemies in my face, in their face. Right? He says, no. Love them. Let me show you what love looks like. He says, forgive them. Extend forgiveness. You remember the disciples say, how many times will we forgive? Right? If my brother sins against me, how many times? Seven times? That's a lot. He goes, how funny you should ask. Actually, it's 70 times seven. Meaning you forgive and keep on forgiving. Because exactly what Jesus did for us. But you only can forgive the unforgivable by the Spirit of God who dwells inside of you. Well, think about what others look like practically serving, sacrificing to serve, prioritizing time with, bearing each other's burdens. This only comes from loving others, which the Spirit enables, and loving other, others only comes by way if you love the Lord. If you get these twisted, you will not be able to live the life, the abundant life that Jesus speaks about, this fullness of life that comes from experience in him. And then we see here in our life practically, this faith by agent of the Spirit fuels a fearlessness. But know that as I talk through these things, as we think through these these things, it only happens when the Spirit flips the faith switch. You remember when I say this? The faith switch. The Spirit has to flip from you knowing what you believe and flipping it to believing what you know. Now, I'm, let me say it again because I can tell I was just, all right. We, we know a lot of things about what we can believe. I mean, you guys can quote doctrine and Bible verses and praise God for it. But when you start believing what you know, it changes everything. Because that's what faith looks like. Not that we don't have it perfect, but you have to go back, believing what I already know, not just be able to quote some things that are great. And that's what's a danger is, as we come together on Sunday mornings across the world, that a lot of people come to church and think they're good with God because they go to church. They think they're good with God because they know some Bible verses and recognizing all that, doesn't do anything for you unless you actually love and put your faith and trust in the Lord. And that flips the switch of now I go from knowing what I believe to believing what I know. And my question is, do you believe what you know? Do you believe what you know maybe right now that you heard this morning through God's word? Because that is a complete difference maker. And it kind of close things out here in Acts 2, you got the Spirit being poured out in this miraculous, loud apparently way that draws a confused crowd hearing the commotion. They're confused because this group of Galileans, this localized group, were now speaking in known languages by the Spirit. And if you go by the list here in Acts 12, there's about 12 different regions who heard them speaking in their own language. And not only speaking, they're all like, yeah, where do you want to go to lunch? It's not like speaking in generalities. They were declaring the magnificent works of God. That's what the Spirit does, man. It propels us to give glory to the Lord. And that's what's happening here. And they all gather around. And it's interesting because I just may I know when, when spirit-filled people start following the Spirit's leading, it's common for spirit-less people to see spirit-filled people as either strange or stupid. I think it's what prevents us from really surrendering to the Spirit's leading. Because I don't want to look weird. Can I tell you that Christians are weird? Can you just be okay with that? We're weird people. Because when you can compare us to the culture, we do weird things. Like we gather on Sunday mornings and talk to a God? How strange and stupid. Like you believe in a book that's thousands of years old? Strange and stupid. The answer is yes. Yes and yes. And unapologetically, yes. Because... God is real, God's moving, and God's working and present. And so this crowd comes up and they recognize, like, how is this happening? And their statement is, they must be drunk. They got to figure out something, right? So I don't know what's happening, but they must be drunk. That makes no sense. Like, I got drunk and learned these languages. That's what I did. That's amazing. And so Peter, I love this, in true Peter fashion, saw a moment to talk. Now here's a great moment for me to say something and he seized it, right? This is what Peter does. If you know anything about Peter, that's what he does. He sees the moment and starts speaking and here he says, listen guys, listen. we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. Like for real. And he says this, he says, what you're seeing, and he quotes, was spoken through the prophet Joel. So he said, listen, this is a movement of God that's already been prophesied that you know about he says, he quotes the prophet Joel, which says, I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. And he says this, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes through this sermon, the first, first church sermon by the apostle Peter, And he says this to cap things off. He starts talking about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. And he says this, therefore let all the house of Israel know, he's talking before thousands of people, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God made this Jesus whom you crucified, take that, both Lord and Messiah. Now get this. This is the same apostle that as Jesus was being betrayed, Denied him three times. This is the same apostle after Jesus was killed in the days before his resurrection was hiding with the disciples out of fears of the Jews. And all of a sudden this apostle stands in front of thousands potentially and says, you killed the Messiah. Deal with it. What does that in someone? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of the living God creates that boldness in us of fearlessness. He didn't care. He saw the resurrected Jesus now it's filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's do this. And I just wonder what our community would look like if this church just filled with the Holy Spirit went out there and said, Jesus! Like, Jesus is the way. No, Jesus. He's the hope. He's the future. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus! He's changed my life. He can change your life. Do you want to hear more about Jesus? And in Acts 2 it Says they being the crowd when they heard this, it says they were pierced to the hearts. It's called conviction. Conviction. Conviction pierces to our hearts. Conviction turns us from our sin to our savior. Not condemnation. See what condemnation brings, one that's from the enemy. And that drifts us and sends us from our Savior, saying you can never be good enough. He would never accept you because of what you've done. Remember that thing you did even this morning in the parking lot and you are going to go to church? Are you kidding me? That's condemnation. It's not conviction. Conviction brings us to the Savior. It says, pierce to the hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and this is where we all have to get to at some point, brothers, what must we do to be saved? Saved from what? This is a very churchy word. It's biblical, but I think it gets lost in translation. Saved from what? This is what it means to be saved. It means we're all created in God's image with the intention to have a relationship with God, yet each of us has sinned, meaning it separates us from God because of our sinfulness, because He's righteous and we are not. And we stand under God's judgment because He's just. He cannot let go sin go unpunished, that unjust, because he'd be not just. And so what's he do? He provides his grace through Christ Jesus, who lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. I can't even keep a perfect week, and yet Jesus lived the perfect life because I can't. To die the death that I deserved and you deserved, raised on the third day, conquering sin and death, and now sits at the right hand of God, And that everyone, he said, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, meaning will be saved from God's wrath and made righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. Traded righteousness. He traded, I traded my unrighteousness for his righteousness by his grace, by the path that he paved. And so that everyone who believes has the relationship restored with the God of all creation that you're meant to have in the first place with Christ Jesus by faith alone. And that comes from a simple prayer i mean, you recognizing in your own heart, I see I've sinned and fall short. I know there's a God. And I need that relationship. I see that Jesus paid for it. I don't understand all of it, all the complexities, but I know somehow, some way on the cross, he paid for my sin. That if I just believe, and I do, that I have eternal life with him and that life starts at the moment I believe and lasts forever because I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit, then that's the prayer you pray. And If you can't remember all that, I'm a sinner, need a savior, Jesus, thank you. Right? I mean, it's so simple. It's not like, let me get these things cleaned up first and I'm dealing with this sin issue over here. Let me get that straightened up because God, you come with all your garbage. This amazing God's grace is, almost sounds like heresy. Like come with your pornography, come with your drinking, come with your drunkenness, come with your adultery, come with it all and let Jesus change you. Let Jesus change you because the spirit of God is the only one that changes your desires. You cannot. All that to say, They said, brothers, what must we do to be saved? This is Peter's response, and I I want you to hear this as well. He said, repent, means turn from your sin and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Notice he didn't say, go clean yourself up first, stop doing what you're doing. He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice it's a gift. They didn't do anything to earn it. They're still guilty of murdering the Messiah. That's what Peter's saying. But you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And all who are far off, praise Jesus, that's us as well. As many as the Lord will call. And I love this. Like a good pastor, it says, With many other words, he testified strongly. Urge them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. Man, if those words don't resonate today. This corrupt generation. Stop following the ways of the world. They change like shifting sand and be saved from it and be saved to Jesus. He's the only rock of our salvation. And then it says this, so those who accepted his message. I mean, some didn't. I mean, some are like, no, this is stupid. Maybe I'll hear more another time. But those who accepted his message, says, were baptized. And about and that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. It's a movement of God. I'm just wondering do we believe that God still moves in similar ways today? Do you really believe, as you go out this week, If you're looking for the Spirit's leading and actually telling people about Jesus and the hope that's found in Him, do you believe someone might actually believe it? I think we don't. I don't think we really believe what we know. I think we know what we believe. I don't know if we believe what we know. Once you start believing that, it changes everything. Once you start seeing that as I go, Jesus is preparing the people all around us where we work, live, and play to experience the hope of salvation, actually come and put his faith in him. But it only comes through someone telling someone. God will not save someone unless they hear and believe. Man, I hope we feel the gravity of that. I'm praying the Spirit just burdens our heart. Because start thinking about the people around you your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, schoolmates. Start thinking about the people around you. And I'm praying that God starts opening our eyes to see the helpless, the hurting, the hopeless who are looking for something more but have no idea where to find it. So they find it in satisfaction, all these other perishing things. They don't know where identity is. They don't know that there's a God who loves them desperately and has sacrificed himself for them so that they can come in and know him and his goodness and grace and live the abundance life that it is to know Jesus and be filled with his spirit. So I'm going to respond, and I've gone longer than I anticipated, and I know it's like no surprise. I'm going to invite our band back up, and I'm, I'm just begging for the Spirit to move in this place. Move in your hearts. Move in me. As I've just focused on this scripture all week and the Spirit's work in my life, I've just come to the point where I need more of the Spirit and less of myself. I desire to have more of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, because I desire to live on life for a purpose, on purpose, and I'm sick of falling short. And so I see these areas of growth that are needed in my life where maybe I get frustrated too much. I'm too snippy, too angry, too impatient. The Spirit will move in those things and remind me who He is and who I am in Him. And I'm begging for the Spirit to do that in you to create an urgency for more of Jesus. And as we want more of Jesus, we start seeing others who need more of Jesus. And I'm asking the Spirit to break our hearts. You want to see a community change? Let's start living on purpose for a purpose for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of others' good. Despite being viewed as stupid or strange, I want to be fools for Jesus and see what that might look like. But as we think through this, just remind of God's grace in your life. No matter what you go through, what you do, what's been done to you, God's grace is sufficient. And I'm asking the Spirit to heal things and wounds and hurts our own lives only what He can. Heal relationships that we're struggling with. The Spirit can do that, but it takes us surrendering our wills for His. Our desires for His. And only the Spirit can do that. So I'm just asking the Spirit to work and move in this place. So I'm going to pray for us. We'll have a prayer team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. And then we're going to sing. And so as we sing, and maybe the spirit just prompting you to stay seated and just to pray and spend time with the Lord, dealing with things that he's revealed to you. Maybe you need to pray with someone else. Maybe you walk across the room and ask forgiveness from someone or encourage someone. However the Spirit's moving and prompting, just follow it. We want to leave space for you to do what the Spirit is telling you to do. Man, what would it look like if we just followed as best as we can the guiding of the Spirit right now into the rest of this week? That's what I'm asking for. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here and just a reminder of that, the power of your presence in our lives. And Lord, we just ask that you show us areas that may we've been stifling your spirit and give us a desire to start just filling ourselves up with those things that fill the spirit up in our lives and lord i pray that you give us the power to live the life that you call us to live the life of loving you and loving others and how that looks like played out no just looks in a variety of ways lord but speak to us in this moment Show us areas where we've been unloving or unforgiving or even unfaithful. Maybe those areas of hurt that people have been unloving, unforgiving, or unfaithful to us, Father. Lord, we just ask that you heal and work in all these different ways, knowing that you are good. Father, give us the peace that surpasses understanding and only comes by way of your spirit working and moving in us. That's what we pray. We pray for true revival, just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this place right now, but we know as we do that, it has to start in us. So move in us, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the goodness of your grace. We thank you for Jesus and the transforming work that you're doing in our lives. Help us to continue to surrender our wills for yours. Thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.